how does the core belief of the ascension affect the practice of the Christian faith? You know, where does the rubber meet the road here? Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First United Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. Well, happy Ascension Sunday, everybody. Today is the day in the church calendar year where we celebrate the Ascension of Jesus Christ. As we say in the Creed, He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Today we celebrate that from there He will come to judge the living and the dead. And so that's what today's text in Acts chapter 1 is all about. That's what uh, the service is about today. And we look at Luke's story, uh, and Luke is sort of writing volume two of his story about Jesus and about the church. So volume one is what we know as the gospel according to St. Luke. And volume two of Luke's eyewitness account is the book of Acts. And so he begins the book of Acts by sort of picking up where the end of Luke's gospel uh, lets off. And he describes a scene where the disciples are gathered around with Jesus and they watch him as he ascends into the clouds and he has gone from their sight. So this is 40 days after Jesus has been raised from the dead and he's been making appearances to his disciples and to those who followed him uh, throughout those 40 days. And now he's returning to his rightful place at the right hand of God. Now we don't mean that he's actually sitting there, that God has an actual right and a left hand, but it's an image for power. It's an image for the place where the king sits and rules justly over all his creation, over all his subjects. And so the reason I brought the trusty baseball glove today, and I know if you're like me, you really miss baseball season about now. And this story reminded me of being a kid in Little League and any, any game you've probably been to watch if you've seen Little League, your kids or grandkids, or you remember your own time playing. There's that storybook moment where the kid is out in left field. We even use that as an expression. You're just out in left field and he's picking dandelions, you know. He just, or he's standing there with his hands in his pockets, his hand in his glove, he's just sitting there and he's, literally staring into space. And so I can hear just echoes of some coach's voice saying, Strebeck, quit standing there staring into space, right? Or quit standing there with your hands in your pockets. And uh, you probably remember times that people have told you something like that. Quit standing around and do something. Well, Luke tells a story where Jesus goes away and and these two men, these two angel figures come just like they came to the empty tomb and they ask uh, the women who are at the empty tomb, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Don't you know that Christ is risen? And in the same way, they appear to the disciples and they say, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Why do you have your head in the clouds Uh, Jesus has been taken into heaven and he will return from there someday, just the way that he left. But for now, you know, they understand that they have work to do. And so 
The disciples are preoccupied with a couple of things here. As we tend to do in Christianity, uh, they, in the story, Luke tells us that they kept asking Jesus. They kept bugging him, Lord, is this the time? Is this the time that you're going to come and restore Israel? Is this the time that you're going to set all of the political wrongs right? Is this the time that you're going to set all the bad stuff right? Are you going to come and clean house and do everything that we've been longing for and hoping for from a good king? Is this the time when your kingdom will come? And Jesus directs them. He says, God is the only one who has the authority to talk about these times. And besides, the kingdom of God looks different as he'd been teaching them about. And Luke recorded in the gospel of Luke. And this looks different. He said, God's the only one that knows this. But you guys need to be concerned with waiting for the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So they're preoccupied with the times of when things are going to shake out. And they're preoccupied with just literally standing there with their head in the clouds. And, you know, we see this really commonly today. It was common in uh, the first century for uh, the Jewish people to do this. It's common for Christians to do this. We can get very preoccupied with fascination with the end times and when is everything going to happen and you'll hear Christians today talking about you know the blood moon and the cycles of this and these prophecies and oh this means that this is going to happen and it's this sort of pseudo spiritual mathematical strange way of trying to predict when things are happening or like we know exactly why things are happening in the world around us and so Jesus is saying look don't be preoccupied with that Return to your occupation of waiting for the Holy Spirit. Return to your occupation of being my witnesses. I think of the way that so many of us, so many Christians are witnesses in the world. I think about uh, friends of ours who are literally around the world. I think of the Wallen family in Albania. I think of the Covington family in North India. And they are there struggling and working in the gospel fields, being witnesses for Jesus in places where people are less familiar with Jesus, where they're hungry for the story and the person of Jesus Christ, and they wait, and they are witnesses by the power of the Spirit. I think of people in our own communities who are serving others. They're serving their neighbors. They're serving uh, those who are older and who struggle. They're serving those who are grieving. They're serving those who don't have enough food or who don't have shelter, who are struggling with mental health. And I think of people who are being witnesses for Jesus all around us. That is our job, not a preoccupation with sorting out the details of when Christ will return. And so <clears throat> how does this core belief, if this is a foundational belief and it takes up so, room, so much room in the Apostles' Creed, which we say and we'll say after the sermon today, why, why is the ascension so important? What does it mean? What is, what, how does the core belief of the ascension affect the practice of the Christian faith. You know, where does the rubber meet the road here? Well, one thing that the ascension does, the reality of the ascension as we pray and as we follow Jesus, it reminds us that, that Jesus is exalted to the highest place, that God has exalted him, as Paul talks about in Philippians 2, because of his obedience and because of his obedience even unto death, that God highly exalted him, that he is the name above every name, that the highest throne that anyone could sit on 
even before the world was created, this belongs to Jesus. And he has ascended to his proper place. The name that is above every name. Without the ascension, the phrase or the practice of ministry or the practice of prayer in the name of Jesus has no power. It means nothing if Jesus is not ascended. And when Jesus is ascended, it means he's able to be present to all people in all places at all times. And therefore, we can pray in the name of Jesus, and Jesus is present with us. We can heal in the name of Jesus. We can do ministry in the name of Jesus. We can serve the poor a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus, and it has power. We have always longed for a good king. We have always longed to be ruled justly, to have someone to follow, someone we could trust. Uh, and to kind of pick up on that theme, I want to turn to Psalm 110. And Psalm 110 is a, a kingly psalm uh, that, that is credited to David. And David says in Psalm 110, verse 1, The Lord, or Yahweh, God, says to my Lord, uh, the king in this case, uh, David, so the capital L Lord says to my Lord, lowercase l, Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. This is actually the most commonly quoted or alluded to Old Testament passage in the entire New Testament. The New Testament writers are crazy about this theme, this idea. In fact, the very first Christian sermon that we'll talk about next week where Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost, he quotes this text as if to say, Christ has ascended, and he is in the driver's seat. God said to my Lord, and they're putting Jesus right there. This is the heir of David's throne. He's the new David. He's the new Moses. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. The psalm goes on to talk about the priestly nature of the Lord's king, David, and then uh, ultimately Jesus, that uh, Jesus is, not only is he this great king, this powerful king, but he is a priest in our midst. So he's fulfilling those roles. Remember the imagery in the Old Testament where Moses' brother Aaron, who's the priest, he's instructed to, take a, to make a breastplate. And on that breastplate, he places 12 actual stones. And on those 12 stones are written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And it's a way of saying, it says, now when you go into the presence of the Lord, you carry those tribes, you carry those people with you before the presence of God. And so it's a way of saying Aaron is a priest. He's carrying all of God's people into the presence of God. Aaron is a priest for all of God's people. We have the same image as Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father. If you can imagine Jesus wearing a breastplate and carrying the names of all of the church throughout all the corners of the world. And in the midst of all of those names of all God's people, the church, your name and my name are written on those stones. If we could imagine it that way, that Jesus carries you and he carries me before the father he prays for us he intercedes for us 
Paul picks this up. The writer of Hebrews picks this up, that Jesus lives to intercede for his people. He lives to pray for his people. There's a great story um, about Amy Carmichael, and I'm going to read to you uh, from a, a book that she wrote as she described a a vision that she had. Amy Carmichael was a missionary in South India for over 50 years, around the turn of the 20th century. And she served faithfully all those years. And when she first began, and she was young, and she saw these young women who would be sold to the Hindu temples. They would be sold to become temple prostitutes as a way for these families to make money. And uh, she just saw these girls being given away. And it broke her heart. And she began to wonder how she could help. And she began to develop a plan to rescue these girls. And the people around her just said, Amy, you can't do that because you're going to stir up a hornet's nest. This is not going to go well. This is going to disrupt all these things. And we're going to get run out of the country. And she just couldn't handle it anymore. And she was close to giving up. And she describes this vision that she had. She says, at last a day came when the burden grew too heavy for me. And then it was as though the tamarind trees around the house were not tamarind, but they were olive trees. And under one of these trees, our Lord Jesus knelt alone. And I knew that this was his burden and not mine. It was he who was asking me to share it with him, not I who was asking him to share it with me. And after that, there was only one thing to do. Who that saw Jesus kneeling there could turn away and forget? Who could have done anything but go into the garden and kneel down beside Jesus under the olive trees? This image of Jesus as our priest invites us to be reminded that it's not our burden that we're asking Jesus to carry, but it's the burden that Christ has already assumed, and we're joining him and carrying that. I know there's a mixture of burdens that we carry today. There's a mixture of burdens, the burdens that we have, the, the people that we know, the situations that we know that break our heart, and we are burdened for them. There are burdens that we carry internally that break our hearts, that we struggle underneath the weight of. This is Christ's burden, the burdens that we carry my invitation to you today, and I believe Jesus' invitation, would be to let Christ ascend in your heart today. Let him rise to the most prominent place in your heart. Higher than any other thing. And the reason that we allow him to do that is because he is worthy. And also because he offers his kingship, his priestly care for us, freely to everyone who will make room for him. So in the name of Jesus, we live these words. May you be blessed to be a blessing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.